Maybe you have been a Christian for a while. Some of you in here have been a Christian for a really long time. Maybe you are someone who's been a Christian for more than 20 years. Who in this room has been a Christian for more than 20 years? A pretty good percentage, more than 10 years. Well, I guess that goes together. Less than 20, more than 10. (laughs) Not as many of you. Some of you have just, you're baby Christians. You've not been a Christian very long, but you have been pursuing the Lord. Maybe you've been a part of or visited a church like this various times throughout your life. Maybe you've been visiting this church for quite some time. Maybe you listen to sermons um, outside of church. Maybe you listen to some podcasts that, or read books that you're looking to help you grow spiritually. Maybe you do some of your own research from the Bible and do your own Bible study. And you've done all these things and your faith isn't all you thought it was going to be. It's harder than you expected. It's not what you thought it was going to be when you first committed your life to the Lord. You've realized now that that it's hard to follow in the faith. There's tons of struggles that come along just with life that will distract us from our faith. Sometimes there's a disconnect um, between us and our faith. We get so busy with things that that our faith can get pushed to the side. However you may, may find it, your faith isn't what you thought it was going to be for many of you. And you may ask this question, what am I missing? What is it that out of following Jesus, what am I missing? What is the missing ingredient for me to be able to experience the fullness of God? And not just the fullness of God in expectation of one day the return of Jesus or one day of our going to heaven, but the fullness of God in the here and now. How do we experience that? What am I missing? That's a question that I think a lot of us probably ask because sometimes when we go into the faith, we have some ideas of what it's going to look like and it doesn't look anything like that. And when we figure out that that it's not what we expected, then we begin to think, what am I missing? Why why does so-and-so's faith look so much better than mine? Why do they seem so much closer? Why does their prayer life seem so much better? The truth is, it's probably not. They're just better at putting on the mask and faking it than you are. All of us have some struggles in our, our life that, that just seems like we're not getting there. But why does it sometimes feel like we've got so close and, and we, we've got in the vicinity of Jesus and we feel like we're accomplishing it, at the same time it feels like we are so far away from what He's called us to do? Who, who's ever heard the old saying, close only matters in horseshoes and hand grenades? Somebody I talked to this week had never heard that before. Um, After I titled the message Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, I I learned two things. Number one, it was pointed out to me this morning. That's the title of a Disciple album. Yeah, hey, it's a great album, by the way. Um, Also, grenades probably aren't politically correct nowadays. I don't know. But anyways, it still rings true. Close only matters in horseshoes and hand grenades because you can get so close, even in our faith sometimes, and still feel so far away and not really hit the mark, not feel like you've accomplished anything. In the late 80s and early 90s, um, some of you all are late 80s and early 90s children like I am. Some of you all are older than that, I'm sorry, but this still pertains to you. And those of you who are younger, you'll have no idea what this is talking about. Um, Who remembers VHS tapes? 
Yeah, that was a thing a long time ago. Home video exploded in the 80s and 90s when a VCR that would, that would play a VHS tape, which is terrible quality video, uh, but they cost like five, six, seven hundred dollars back then, maybe more than that, I don't remember. But it exploded. Uh, you could go to video stores all over the place. If you're of a certain age like I am, you may remember Friday nights going to the video store just planning what your weekend's going to look like and realizing somebody beat you to that movie that you really wanted to get. So you put in a reservation for it for the next week and they still let somebody else get it for you. Um, yeah, video stores were fun, but you didn't always get the movie that you wanted. They were huge, though. Within three miles of my house growing up, there were like six video stores that I would go to. Now, if you were like me, we also rented video games, me and my brother, um, but we would have to go to the video store that we owed the fewest late fees at in order to get the next video game. And we would just make that circle um, before we had all our late fees paid off. Anyways, one video store ruled them all back in the day, which was Blockbuster. There was one on every corner, wasn't there? There was nine, over 9,000 Blockbuster stores at the peak of their existence. 9,000 stores where you could just go rent videos and eventually DVDs. Uh, but 9,000 stores... It was, uh, they had 50 million members who were a part of Blockbuster. Who was a part of Blockbuster? Who's never heard of Blockbuster? Who's only seen it because there's a Netflix series called Blockbuster? I didn't know there was until this week, actually, but there's a Netflix series all about this, apparently. Um, they, they had 50 million members. They were valued north of $5 billion. It was a big company. They were the titans of video rental. They were everywhere. If you didn't have a blockbuster in your town, your town was nothing back then. Um, in 2000, the year 2000, there was a startup company that had 300,000 subscribers. They were struggling for money. Uh, they had plenty of subscribers, but they didn't have enough revenue. So they go to Blockbuster. They offered a sellout for $50 million. And Blockbuster looks at them and was like, mm, no, I don't think so. We're the kings of the video world. Y'all are a bunch of peons. We're not going to be a part of this. You just go do your thing. Die like a cockroach. That's basically how they looked at this company known as Netflix. Blockbuster has folded. There, there is still one Blockbuster left in the world. It's privately owned it, owned. It is in Bend, Oregon, wherever that's at, somewhere in Oregon. Don't know what that's close to. Uh, I saw a documentary on it several months ago. It was kind of interesting that people actually still go to a video store. They go because of community more than they go to rent videos, one Blockbuster store in the world, Blockbuster as a company no longer exists. Netflix, on the other hand, is now worth $131 billion as of Friday. And that's actually down. They've been over $200 billion. They've lost market cap. They are now at $131 billion dollars. Blockbuster at its peak was $5 billion. They were so close, yet so far. The founder of uh, Netflix, a guy by the name of Reed Hastings himself, is worth $3 billion. He, by himself, is worth almost as much as Blockbuster was at its peak. One man didn't see the value in Netflix. The guy who operated Blockbuster, he didn't see the value in this investment. He didn't believe in this vision that Netflix was 
casting. He definitely didn't see the future of streaming. I mean, who's been to a video store in the last five years? Any of you? No, we stream everything. Blockbuster didn't see the value in that. Netflix was making its money off sending DVDs in the mail. Do you all remember when that would happen? I was so excited to get my DVD in the mail and binge watch whatever I was getting. Then you had to send it back and wait. Now you don't have to wait. And Blockbuster didn't see the value in this. They didn't believe in the Netflix vision that was being cast before them. That was only $50 million and is now worth $131 billion. So what does this story have to do with my faith? Nothing. Just thought I'd share it. No, in a way, it's got absolutely nothing to do with your faith. But in another way, it's got everything to do with your faith. It depends on how we look at the story. Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not just something we are striving for in the future. The kingdom is a present day thing we talked about it some last week it is not only we're waiting to get to heaven it is we can experience the kingdom today in the present but we're going to miss it if we don't see the value of investing in the kingdom today our time our talents our resources our finances we're going to miss the blessing god has for us in today's kingdom because we're just waiting for jesus to come back or for heaven to open its doors to us. Here's our bottom line for today. If you're almost all in, you're completely out. If you are almost all into your faith, you've already missed it. You are completely all out of it. You can't be almost all in. You have to be all in. Not close. Close only counts in. Horseshoes and hand grenades. So close, yet so far away. We're going to look today, and we're going to talk about money. You know, the most popular topic to talk about in church services. Why is money the most sensitive topic to talk about? It, it, I think it's the most sensitive. Nobody wants to talk about it, right? We don't want to talk about how we use our money and why we should use our money for certain things. Why, why is that? I think we have a very intimate relationship with our finances. Because when we think about our money, well, that's where we view our safety and security coming from. You know, we're setting ourselves up for the future oftentimes with our money. We're, we're investing it into a retirement account or we're just hoping to get to the next paycheck to be able to pay the bills. Well, we find whatever safety and security we have in our money, we look to it for our provision. We, we know that Whatever we get paid, whatever's in our bank account, that's how we're going to go and put food on the table, pay our house payments, car payments, have a little fun with it, because that's the other thing. We look at our money as the way that we enjoy life. I mean, you can't do fun things with no cash, right? You really can. There's a lot of fun things out there. My kids haven't figured that out yet. And I'll be honest, I struggle with it myself. Every time we talk about, let's go do something fun with the kids, it's like, well, that's going to cost 100 bucks, Or we could just go to the mountains and go to the creek, whatever it may look like. You know, here's a, 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 a truth. Jesus never shied away from talking about money. It's actually one of the most talked about things that Jesus mentions in his teachings. 25 to 30% of the parables that he taught were all about money. It had some element of how you handle your finances. 
Why? Why does Jesus view money so important, yet we view it as something that is so taboo that you better not talk about it in church? Why is that? Well, the way Jesus taught, what we see is how we use our money is the biggest indicator of what we value in life. Just think about what you spend your money on. That's the things that you value, whether it's traveling, whether it is just making sure you got the nicest house on the block, or maybe it's just showering your kids with whatever you can give them. Money shows how we spend it is an indicator of what we really value. As Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, where you invest is what you really care about. Your checkbook shows what you really care about. It's really not about the money, though. But when you read Jesus' teachings on money, it's really not about the money. It's not about the checking account. It's about the condition of our heart. It's about whether we're all in or whether we're just almost all in. There's a story we're going to look at today, and it tells this story of a young man who's truly seeking Jesus. He really wants to know the answers to the questions. He, he's really seeking what faith has to do with him in Jesus. But he's got a really sad ending to his story. It's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible, to be honest with you you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at a, a parable that many of you may be familiar with. Maybe a parable you've never heard before, though. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I have, must I do to have eternal life? That's a pretty good question, right? What do I need to do to get in? What, what what do you require? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Another good question. You tell me to keep the commandments. Well, there's 600 and something of them. Which one do you want me to do? And Jesus answers him, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are all pretty good. We could all probably get on board with those. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? There's that question. What am I missing? What's the missing ingredient? Well, why am I not getting all of this? Why is my faith not what I expected it to be? What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And then we get to what I believe is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. We hear this story of a rich young man. And most of us probably look at it and say, well, he should have been willing to, to chip in. He was a rich dude. What does that really have to do with us? It's got everything to do with us. 
I would almost guarantee none of you in this room feel like you're rich. Yet every single one of you in this room are part of the, the richest 10% of all people in the world. If you got a home and a car, you're some of the richest people on the, planet of the, on the face of the planet. We don't feel that way, but it's the truth. It, it is a perfect example of our own condition. We are rich. I don't feel like I'm rich. But when you compare yourself to others around the globe, we're a very wealthy people. It's an important story that Jesus tells here. It's so important that it's mentioned in all three of the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all mention the story. So it's apparently a very important story for Jesus to communicate. They all saw it was important. And, And when you read the account of this story in the book of Luke, Luke calls this rich young man, he calls him a ruler. Now, when he says he's a ruler, he's not saying, oh, he's like a governor or a mayor, he's over people. No, he's a ruler in the temple. He's a a religious leader. I mean, so this is a guy, when he comes up to Jesus, by all appearances, he has it all right. He's a leader in the temple. He knows his faith. He understands the law. He, He looks the part. He dresses the part. But he knew he was still missing something. So how does he, what what does he do? What are the the indicators of of how he responds? Well, the first thing we see is he goes to the right person. He doesn't go up to one of his fellow religious leaders and say, hey, I'm missing something. What do I need to do? He goes to the source. He, He recognizes this Jesus guy has something that I don't have. So he goes to the source. He goes to the right person. Even though he was someone who should have known it all as a religious leader, he knew he didn't, so he goes straight to Jesus. Not only that, he asks Jesus the right question. He doesn't go just asking Jesus, what do I got to do to be good? He asks, what does it take for me to get eternal life? Not just heaven in the future, He's talking about in the here and now. What does it take for me to enter into the kingdom right now? He he asks the right person. He has the right attitude. He he asks the right question. And he also has the right attitude. When you read the account in the book of Mark, it says he ran to Jesus. You know what's weird about that? Jewish men didn't run. They wore robes, so to run would be really awkward for them. It wasn't, many Jewish men actually looked at it as being disrespectful. You know, it's only kids run. Men don't run. There's things in our society that men just don't do, right? Well, that was one of theirs. Men don't run. You are, that's not dignified. Plus, it's going to trip you up when you're trying to run over your robe in a pair of sandals. Anybody ever tried to run a pair of Crocs? That's why... Greg Jones has a peg leg back there. He was trying to race in a pair of Crocs. (laughs) It says that he runs up to Jesus. The way it kind of reads, it's almost like he he runs, then he falls on his knees. It's almost like 
a baseball slide. You know, he, he's running, he sees Jesus, he's running to him, he's got this attitude, this is the guy i got to go to. Going to the right person, asking him the right question, coming with the right attitude. He's kneeling before Jesus. What do I have to do? But, he has the wrong heart condition. Read that verse again. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It wasn't just that he walked away with some questions and wanted to know what this looks like. It was, he was distraught. What do you mean everything? I got to sell everything and give it away. You notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, go sell all your possessions, give it to the treasurer, let's put it in, in, in our bank account so that we can go take care of things. He said, sell it, go help some people with it, then come follow me. Isn't that interesting? You know what that shows us? It wasn't about the money. It was about his heart. This is a guy who looked the part. He was the one who's showing up to church on Sunday mornings with his suit on and his tie. We don't do that here. Please don't do that here. You'll look weird. Hopefully you do wear clothes that are clean. That's really our standard, clean clothes. But even then, we don't even hold you to that. So. This is the guy who looked the part. He said all the right words. People probably looked at him and said, man, he is a great man of God. I can, I can go to him for advice. I can trust what he says. You can look the part and still have the wrong heart and never experience the kingdom. Does that mean that you're not saved and not going to heaven? No. If you have expressed faith, confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sinful life, committed your life to Jesus, you're still experiencing the kingdom one day, but you will never experience it today. You, you can look the part, you can do all the right things, but have the wrong heart and you never get to experience the kingdom. See, the kingdom, as I've said, is not just a future thing. It is what we are investing in for the here and now. It is today. You experience the kingdom in your everyday walk. It is today and it is tomorrow. It is present and it is future. The kingdom, as it's talked about in Scripture, it's synonymous with salvation. It's synonymous with eternal life. When we talk about what we desire in life, in our faith, we want to be a part of the kingdom. It's all talking about the same thing. This man, he says, what must I do? Now, who grew up in a Baptist church? Most of us. And you probably walked an aisle at some point, went to a preacher or a life group leader, or whatever it may, be, and may have been, and said, what do I got to do to get saved? And they said, well, pray this prayer. 
Say these few words. Repeat after me. Who, who did that one? Repeat after me. That's the one I had to do with my pastor. You want to get saved? All right. Repeat after me and you will be saved. No, that Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He, he doesn't say, well, come say these words that you don't understand and you don't even know what they mean. Let's just repeat after me. He says, go all in. Go all in. Sell everything you've got. Go all in. He, he never even gets, Jesus never even gets to the salvation part, to the repentant, because this guy never gets past repentance. He never says this is what it really takes because this guy never repents of his heart condition. When we think about repentance, this is what it looks like in your life. You are all born, we are all born as sinful people. Can I get an amen for that? Craig Gibson's born as a more sinful person than most of us. Can I get an amen for that? Did you say no? Huh, you don't know Craig very well. Anyway, so you were born and you begin to walk through life. And when you walk through life, you are chasing self, chasing things that are attractive to you, and then you meet Jesus. And what repentance means is you stop chasing your own life and you turn back and walk towards Jesus. Repentance literally means turn around and walk towards Jesus. Stop chasing what you're chasing and walk towards Jesus. This guy never got there. He never got to the repentance part of faith. He had two problems. His heart had two problems. The first problem was pride. Because what did he say? Jesus lists these laws, and what did the guy say? Anybody? He said, keep these laws. The guy said what? I've already kept all these laws. Well, first off, that's kind of arrogant, right? Number two, he's lying. There's no way he's kept all those laws from birth. It's not possible. You all haven't kept them. I haven't kept them from birth. He didn't keep them from birth. So he had a pride problem. Not only did he have a pride problem, he had a possessions problem. He had everything he wanted. In this life, to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, he didn't need Jesus. He had everything that he needed. Some of you may find yourself in that boat. Some of you may find yourself where you don't need Jesus to fulfill your finances so that you can make the house payment next month. Some of you may find yourself where you can do anything that you want financially. Others of you, you struggle to make it to the next week. This guy could have anything that he wanted. He says, tell me what to do. This guy had a problem. He had a meatloaf problem. You got that up there yet? Now, if you're young, you don't know this, but if you're old, I will do, but I won't do that. I don't know what that was, but he wasn't going to do it. That's meatloaf, if y'all don't know. If you're under the, does everybody know that's meatloaf? Raise your hand if you're like, I don't know who in the world that guy is. He's creeping me out on this. Rock singer from the 70s, 80s, guy named Meatloaf. Okay, He's, he died not too long ago. Has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it was funny. This guy had a Meatloaf problem. 
Not that his heart was clogged arteries. Jesus told him what to do. He says, I ain't going to do that. Jesus answers him, answers his question. Okay, keep keep the laws. God says, I did it. He says, all right, go all in. Give me all your money. Go take it to the poor. Go help people. Jesus isn't worried about his money. That's why he didn't ask him to give it to Jesus. He's worried about his heart. Here's a question that I, I asked myself. Did Jesus really want him to sell everything? Who would say, yeah, Jesus wanted him to sell everything? Who would say, Jesus probably wanted him to sell some of it and give to the poor? Who's not going to answer the question because you think you're going to get it wrong? More of you admit to that. You know, I thought about it. Does Jesus really want him to sell everything? Yeah. Because that's what he said. He didn't say go sell part of it. He said go sell it all. Does Jesus want him to sell it all? Absolutely. Why does Jesus want him to sell it all? Because it's keeping him from Jesus. He knew that if this man holds on to anything, he's not going to be all in. He's going to be close, but he's not going to be all in. We have a tendency to compartmentalize what we believe from what we do. Most of us, our faith life is a a slice or a section or a compartment of our life. Our work life is a different section. Our family life can be even a different section. Our social life can be even a different section. And we take our our faith and we stick it in this, this compartment that we only open up maybe on our quiet time early in the morning or in the evening, whenever you may do a quiet time on Sundays. When we come to church, we might open that compartment, but we're not going to open it if there's something better to do on a Sunday. We're going to close it down and go do that. We have a tendency to to take our faith and, and compartmentalize it from everything that we do. What is it that is keeping you from the kingdom right now? What is it that, that is keeping you from experiencing God's blessing in your life right now? If you've expressed your faith in Christ, you are saved. If you've truly committed your life to Jesus, you will experience the kingdom of heaven after you pass. But Jesus wants you to experience it right now. Are you all in? Or are you just close? Verse 23 of this passage, Jesus goes a little more in depth with his disciples. He says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Notice the synonymous use of Enter the kingdom of God, and they say, well, who can be saved? It's the same thing that he's talking about. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, 
We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They were all in. They were all in. The disciples were. But he says, it's hard for a rich person to go to heaven. Why do you think that is? Is it because they've already had their blessing? No. There is nothing wrong with someone having financial blessing. That's not at all what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying it is harder for a rich person to get into heaven, to enter the kingdom, to enter eternal life, because you don't need Jesus. You can pay your bills. You can put food on the table. You don't need him to provide. He's already provided. You didn't give him credit for it. And now you feel like, well, I've got it. When he says enter the kingdom, he's talking about today. He's not saying to enter the kingdom in the future. He's saying, I say to you, it is difficult for a rich person to enter today at this moment the kingdom of heaven. Rich, we are preoccupied. We have divided loyalties when we have money because we've got to make sure our money is good, our possessions are good. It's, as Jesus says, it's a hindrance to the kingdom. It's an all-in. You can't play a game of horseshoes and hand grenades with this. It is all-in because money is a direct connection to our heart. It is a direct connection to the kingdom. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you shouldn't have money. Matter of fact, there are Plenty of instances in Scripture where God blesses His people with possessions and financial resources. Nobody's saying that if you have money in your checking account, you need to go get rid of it all. But this guy did. That was the hindrance to him and Jesus. No one's saying you shouldn't have cash, but what Jesus is teaching in this passage is that money shouldn't have you. And so often, especially in our consumer-driven culture that's chasing the next best thing, money has your heart more than Jesus has your heart. How do you know if money has your heart? Well, you could look and say, well, maybe you are wealthy and you look every day to see how your stock market accounts are doing, your 401ks. Maybe you look to, at your checking account, open up that Truist app account and say, yeah, I got money to go do this and buy that and go on this trip. It could even be where you don't have a lot of money, so you're opening up that account to make sure you got enough money before that house payment comes out. But when you know your heart is more into the money or the desire of money or even the fear of not having it more than it is Jesus is when 
that's what preoccupies you and you've opened those accounts more than you have your Bible. You know because you can look and see this is where I spent my money. I didn't impact anybody with it. Let's say you had a job offer. If you were offered a job, you only had to take it for two years, and it was going to pay you $5 million per year. Who's going to take the job? It doesn't really matter what it is, does it? As long as it's ethical, we're taking the job. Now, now what if you take the job and they say, oh, you got to move to California, third world country, way out there on the left coast. You, you got to move somewhere that you hate, whatever it may be. California is beautiful. I just give it a hard time. But you got to go. You got to live there two years. We're still going to give you $5 million a year. Live there two years. You're going to hate the climate. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. Who's still all in? We're talking $10 million, people. Raise your hand. Who's all in? Now, what if as you are taking the job, you're getting ready to go jump on the plane to to head to whatever place they're sending you. The, your new boss comes up to you and says, I forgot to tell you one thing. We're going to pay you $10 million. It's even tax-free. It's even better than what, what we thought. You can buy anything you want while you're out there. Enjoy it. Have some fun with the money. But everything that you buy, everything you invest in while you're there for those two years, well, it's got to stay there when you come back home. Now, if that's the rules, who's going to go out to wherever you're sent, you're buying the nicest house you can get. You're going to go buy like a three or four million dollar mansion. Who, who's going to go and pour your money into to all these fun things, buying all the cars, all these things that you may love? Probably not most of us. Why? Because in two years, when you leave, you're going to basically be bankrupt. You're not going to have anything left. You're going to have spent it all on this temporary thing that has no ultimate value. You've wasted the trip. Here's the truth about your faith. Everything that you invest in the kingdom, Jesus will return to you. Every dime, every moment of time, every sacrifice that you make into the kingdom, he will pay it back to you multiplied. You can never outgive God. Now, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I, I'm not saying if you invest into the kingdom, you're going to be blessed beyond measure. You will be, but maybe not in this lifetime. You're paying it forward to the kingdom. Everything that we invest right now in the here and now is gone in just a few short years for every single one of us. Everything we invest in the kingdom is multiplied greater than we can ever imagine. And here's my fear for people, not just of Northview Church, but people of every church in this area, at least, that I know of. There's going to be a day where we go to heaven and we meet our Savior face to face. And we're going to be spiritually bankrupt. Because we paid nothing in to the kingdom. We valued things more in this brief time 
that we have on this earth than the eternity we'll spend in the kingdom. We haven't invested in helping the people that God has called us to help. We've not invested, we may say the words, but we've not really invested in the mission to love God with everything that we have, to love His people and to make disciples because we're still preoccupied with whatever the world has to offer. If you're almost in, you've got close, but you're just almost in, you're completely out. Jesus is saying, it's all in. Now I want to be clear, I'm not saying all of you in this room need to go today, sell everything you got. Let's move on this commune that my wife keeps talking about. It's a weird, but she really wants a commune. Y'all are into that stuff. Talk to my wife. I'm moving somewhere else. Um, it's not that kind of commune you see. Never mind. We're not going. It's going to go really off the rails right now. <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I'm not saying you got to sell everything that you got. But maybe you do. I, I'm not saying that, that you can't invest your time into things that you love, but maybe that time you're investing is diverting your attention from the kingdom. Uh, I will say that your giving or your lack of, when I say giving, I mean money, time, talents. Your giving or your lack of shows what your spiritual maturity really looks like. Are you a maturing disciple? Well, you can just look. How am I giving? Or am I not? Because when you're really bought in, you're really bought in. All or nothing. We go through these next few weeks talking about the Heart for the House initiative. It's an opportunity for you to invest in the kingdom. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and say we're not asking for money. We are going to ask you for a commitment. If you're a partner of Northview Church, we're going to expect a commitment. It will look different for every single one of you. But we expect you to be investing in the kingdom. Here's one caveat I will say. We're not the only game in town. If you feel God leading you to invest in the kingdom in another way, you better follow God's leading. We feel the heart for the house is a great opportunity to, for you to invest. But if that's not where God's leading you to put your money, put it where God leads you to put it. God will take care of us. You need to do what God's leading you to do. But as a leadership team, we feel like God has put this before us to ask you to be giving of your first, your life to Jesus. Give of your talents. Give of your finances. But don't miss the kingdom just because you're being tight with what God has given you. 
We have to come to a realization that everything we have is God's. We're just borrowing it. He's just blessed us with it for a very short amount of time. How are you using your resources for the kingdom? We're going to have some cards that are going to be passed out, whoever's handing those out. I want you to take one card for your family, especially if you're a partner. But if you're just visiting and you still feel like God's leading you to to be a part of something or you want to pray about it, this is not a commitment yet. Take one card for your family. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Over the next three weeks, two weeks actually, I want you to take this card with your family, or if you're single and you're doing it alone, take this card and pray over this card. And there's some options on the back of this card. First off, we believe the most important thing is prayer. So that's the first commitment we're asking from you. I commit to praying on these days for this church every single week. Hopefully, you can circle every day. But, Commit to something. This commitment we're going to place before the Lord on the last day of this campaign. So commit to something you know you can follow through with. The second thing we're asking is I commit to this as an initial gift to heart for the house. Meaning, I can't commit to give this all the time. But I'm going to give this amount the first time on that Sunday. Or as soon after that Sunday as we can. There's some options there, but you can commit anything that you feel God leading you to commit. Then there's another option on here that says, I commit to give this as a monthly gift above my tithe. If you're already a giver, what would the Lord lead you to give extra towards heart for the house? There's a last thing on there that says, I just commit to begin tithing. Because some of you aren't getting the blessing of giving. And when we talk about tithing, Scripture talks about it being 10%. What I talk about it, what I believe Scripture really teaches is it being sacrificial. Maybe for you it's 5%. It's giving whatever percentage is sacrificial for you and then increasing that as your faith grows. You begin to trust the Lord more with your money. But I believe giving is a spiritual discipline that we are required to take in. I told you, we're not the only game in town. I think it's scriptural to give to the church, but if you feel God leading you to give to another church or somewhere else, that's between you and God. But I'm telling you, if you are not participating in generosity, giving sacrificially, you are missing the kingdom today. Would you pray over that for these next couple of weeks? And on, I don't remember the date. What's today's date? It's on the 20th. Oh, it says it on here, doesn't it? On November the 20th, we're going to have a time of dedication and commitment. Maybe you won't be here that Sunday for whatever reason. Well, tune in, watch us online. You can have that dedication with us or just have it with your family. I'm not even going to ask you to put your names on these things. This is a commitment between you and God. But I will tell you, this will help us. As we we look at how we are going to finance the next phase of Northview Church, they ask us, what has your church committed to the mission? So this will help us to be able to say, this is what they've committed. Would you pray about that for the next few weeks?
And this morning, I ask that we begin about praying about it today. Don't put it off to the end of this campaign. So as the band plays, let's spend some time in prayer. Grab your family. If you're by yourself, grab a, a friend if you want to, or you can pray alone. And just pray over the cards. But you all, pray on your own. What's God leading us to? You may come to the conclusion God's leading you not to give here. Cool. This is, yes, it is a financial campaign that we can build and buy buildings. Full transparency. But it's more important than that. This is about your spiritual maturity. How are you going to live out the kingdom today? So would you begin to move now? Get with your families. Pray over the cards. Just ask God how he's moving you to give for him.